morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, March 16th, we're studying Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. Jesus teaches his disciples about the danger of sin and temptation and the necessity of forgiveness for their lives as his servants. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk context. What should we know from the previous 16 chapters of Luke, particularly the immediate context that helps us into chapter 17? Yeah, so what you have in uh, in Luke's gospel uh, is uh, Jesus kind of, you know, Luke is introducing Jesus's ministry for the first eight or nine chapters. And then, and then you have, and I think this, we always need to return to this at the end of Luke chapter nine, you have, you have a very, uh, very momentous or monument, monumental, uh, uh, episode where Jesus then sets his face toward Jerusalem. And from that point on, he's headed toward Jerusalem uh, with var- variations of teaching and parables and, and 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 stuff like that, and so now in this immediate context in chapter seventeen, we're following chapter sixteen, where Jesus has given uh, two parables, uh, one of the unjust steward, which makes for a good stewardship Sunday uh, sermon, um, which is in the it's in the one year lectionary. So you know, uh, make friends by means of unrighteous mammon, and then he has the the rich man and Lazarus and sandwiched in between that is him rebuking the, 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 the Pharisees for justifying themselves uh, before men and, uh, but not being uh, righteous before God. And, and Jesus says, you know, the most highly esteemed things among men are an abomination in the sight of God. And what, and what's, what's at the, what's at the core of this is really greed, um, greed and pride, uh, love of money, um, it's it's kind of funny, you know. I, I I like to tell people that Jesus's parables, and really parables in general, are sort of like jokes. They're they're sort of they're sort of satire in ways. Uh, they they there's a punchline, and the punchline is kind of the is really where the lesson is, and it's 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 kind of an absurdity almost. Um, and and so and and it serves to reveal the wisdom and. Uh, and mysteries of God to, to babes, to little ones, um, to the least of these and to hide it from the wise. And that's what he's doing here. Uh, and he's real, and you really see him do this with the, you know, like in chapter 16 with, with the, with the unjust steward, because it's kind of like, like what, you know, you could just imagine the Pharisees who just know they, they, they know their, their stewardship principles on how to make money. And they're like, what is wrong with this guy? What is he saying that we should just, you know, uh, uh, just make friends by means of unrighteous mammon and all this stuff. And you can look at it, look at the context yourself or listen to the last episode on, on all that. But, but that kind of brings us into then chapter 17, where Jesus then warns against scandal. And of course, this is in the immediate context of, 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 uh, those who are rich and powerful, 
those who are influential, those who who are prideful and puffed up. And uh, and he and he talks about how, you know, it would be better uh, for him to to be cast into the sea with a millstone wrapped around his neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall away. Right. And so you so so think of one of the parables that he tells right before this is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus being little despised, you know, poor man who who was not comforted here on earth. Um, but then the tables are turned uh, in the afterlife where he's in heaven and the rich man's in hell. And so here you have Jesus continuing that theme of this uh, someone who would scandalize. And we, we and we can get into more, you know, what what that that concept of scandal means and what it's connected to, especially in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples the life of faith and humility. Let's go ahead and read the text then. This is Luke 17, verses 1 to 10. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper, supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That's our text for today. That's Luke 17 verses 1 to 10. Pastor Price, a couple of things. One, I think it's important to notice that at the beginning of this text, the audience changes. Jesus is speaking to his disciples again. He's been primarily addressing Pharisees previously. So he he turns now to his disciples, a narrower group. And then the other thing I want to bring up right away, because you were using the word scandal. And in the ESV, the word scandal is not there. It says temptations to sin. So what what are these scandals that you're talking about? Yeah, so scandal is the is just kind of the, the Greek... Uh, transliteration of the the Greek word, and uh, that and like scandalous, um, or or uh, or scandala, uh, and and it's translated as temptation to sin. Uh, it's all it's it's translated the same way in other in other translations as well. Um, scandal is a falling away. That which is it's a sometimes it's translated as offense, and when we think of offense, we usually in our context think of it in a more subjective personal way. Like I'm offended personally by what you did um, or by what you said. And that, that is, I think very much a product of our probably kind of postmodern age that we live in where things are very relative to it's, the, the objective truth doesn't matter as much as how I, how it affects me. Right. Um, and, but, but, but really traditionally speaking, a scandal or an offense is something that's objectively offensive. That is something that actually causes people 
to stumble. It causes them to lose hope, to fall away, to go after uh, you know terrible uh, uh, lies and 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 errors and and poisonous doctrines and and all that kind of stuff. So so really, it's to cause someone to fall away from the faith. And and it's and and you can speak of it in a more severe way. Um, or uh, in a in a way that you know Christians can can uh, can fall away in a in in sort of a temporary way and then be brought back. So like Jesus says to his disciples, "You will all fall away because to fall away on my account." Um, which and and so you know we could get into whether they actually completely lost their faith and then Jesus brought them back, or if they just stumbled, you know, in weakness, uh, but were still in the faith. And we know that Jesus did, you know, like he said to Peter, I've prayed for you, uh, even though the devil wants to sift you like wheat. So so these scandals are things that are constantly, they're, they're objective things that cause people to fall away. And they also shake the faith of Christians, even if they don't completely destroy the faith of Christians. So, so that's what, that, that's, that's what a scandal is. Um, but of course, you know, we can't, we, we, we can't, we can't talk about scandal in this context uh, of what Jesus is saying here, again, without going back to that, that hallmark episode in Luke's gospel in chapter nine, where Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. Right, he set his face toward the cross, and because that's where, and this is kind of ironic because the cross is actually what restores us, but the scriptures refer to the cross, like Paul calls Christ crucified, the preaching of Christ crucified, a scandal or a stumbling block. You might see that translation uh, uh, to the Jews, and it's the same word that's used, that's translated here in ESV or in like I have the uh, American translation. Uh, temptation to sin. Um, so it just depends on the context. Jesus is going after the bad scandal. <laughs> and uh, But Paul ironically talks about the truth being a scandal, right? The cross of the fact that, you know, the idea that the, that the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God is put to death um, and suffers such an, uh, you know, excruciating uh, painful suffering, shameful, shameful death, that that's a scandal causing people to stumble. Mm. I, I mean, Jesus even uses that same language. I believe it's in his answer to John the Baptist when John is in prison and he sends the two messengers. Yes. And Jesus says, yes, I'm, I'm the guy. And then he says, blessed is the one who is not, and I think it usually is translated offended, but it's that same word, yeah. the one who's not scandalized on account of me. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's Matthew 11, I believe. Um, and I, and I, I think he's got that in Luke as well. Uh, yeah, blesses the one who's not offended by me. I, my pastor, my fieldwork pastor in seminary would often quote that. Um, he would say it because uh, he would say hard truths in his sermons. And then he would say, blessed are those who are not offended by Jesus, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but in this case, then the, the one, the scandal here isn't so much the cross as it is those who would, or, or yeah, whatever it is that would get in the way of believing in the cross. Yeah, exactly. Which, which can't, yeah. So you're right. We have to distinguish between the, the, the those barriers, as St. Paul says, we do not put any barriers that would uh, yeah. do damage to our, to our ministry. Um, that was the, the text for, 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 uh, uh, Ash Wednesday um, in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, 
but we got to make a distinction between the, the the scandals that cause you to fall away that are evil and obviously the scandal of the cross, but they are closely related. And that, and that shows us how, you know, this is related to Jesus saying that you must pick up your cross and follow me and mm-hmm. bear your cross. You know, people often complain, for example, about all the divisions in the church. And what I, my response to that is often, uh, well, this is God's test to you, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that there are heresies among you in order for God to prove, to test and prove who, who the, the genuine ones are. So God, is, God uses evil things in order to, to test our faith. And so Jesus is saying, you know, it's impossible for scandals not to come. They're going to come. And this, therefore, you know, shouldn't startle us. We shouldn't be, we, you know, Jesus, it's like what Jesus says in John, uh, was it 15? It's somewhere in the, in, the, in the farewell discourses where he says, I've told you these things yeah. to keep you from falling away and using that same, the verb form of scandal. Um, so that you know, because you know that I told you they would happen before they happen, that these, these, there are going to be people opposed to the word of God, your, your faith is going to be tested. And so Jesus is doing a similar thing here where he's, he's preparing them for what is inevitable, that they're, this is, it's not going to be a cushy spot for them as apostles. Uh, they're going to face these temptations to sin. And, that's, and God works through those evil things to, as, as, a, as a salutary cross to chastise us and discipline us uh, as his children so that we would grow. Well, is there, well, what about with Jesus speaking to his disciples here, you know, he, he says then woe to the one through whom they come. Is it not only that the, I mean, it sounds like not only will the disciples face these scandals, that these temptations will be there for them, but also it, it sounds like Jesus is saying, Hey, watch out and make sure that you're not the one that puts that stumbling block in place. Yeah. And, and again, it's in light of what Jesus is doing everything. So everything Jesus teaches us has to do with, the life of the Christian that we are all living in view of the judgment. But in the context of when Jesus is saying these things, he's talking about this all in view of his cross, which is really at the center of everything. And that is the judgment born by the son of God on, on, on the cross for, for sinners and, and so he has in mind the cross at all times. His face is, again, his face is headed toward Jerusalem. And so what he says later on, uh, when he reaches his passion, he says, he, he refers to Judas and says, it would be better if Judas never would have been born, you know, because, and, and so he says that he has the same indictment against Judas who betrayed him. So Judas caused the scandal. And again, it's that great, it's a great mystery, which, which, you know, by, by reason of our own strength, we cannot handle it. But faith uh, holds on to to the scandal of the cross as a blessing, and is not uh, and is not then does not is not put to shame in the face of all these other scandals. Mm-hmm. Now the the consequence for this for the one who would allow these scandals to come or through whom the scandals come is pretty graphic. You know, tie a big old millstone around your neck and be thrown into the bottom of the sea, that would actually be better mm-hmm. than having these scandals come through you and so causing the little ones to sin. That's a pretty graphic image from Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It shows how seriously God takes 
the protection of his of his little ones, right? It shows the seriousness of God's wrath, and and it's going to be it's a terrifying thing to hear about. Uh, to to the, a millstone is wrapped around your neck and you're thrown to the depths of the sea. Uh, this is uh, this is this is a paralleled in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 18, and a very similar context where they're asking Jesus about when how often they should forgive forgive their brother which of course Jesus gets into that here in Luke uh, 17. And, uh, and so it's a terrifying thing that someone who would cause the little ones, and pr- he particularly has the little children in mind here, uh, to, to, to cause them to fall away from the faith, to neglect the faith, to neglect teaching them, to, to allow them to be fed poisonous doctrines, uh, and, 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 and to, you know, that, that they would be, that, that their doom uh, is that God's wrath against them is very severe, but underneath that terrifying wrath is actually a comfort because it, again, it shows how much God is zealous for his little ones, that he cares so much about him that as he says in Matthew, their angels, their guardian angels see, they behold the face of God and, and they behold the face of the father in heaven. You know, I mean, you think of the angels uh, in Isaiah six who, who, who appeared to to uh, Isaiah in the temple, and they had to cover their faces. And yet Jesus says in Matthew 18 that the angels of these children who believe in him, they don't cover their faces. They behold God's face. And, and that shows how, how precious th- these, these little ones are to God. So, so, so yes, it's a terrifying thing when we consider that, that consequence and that wrath of God. But again, it also shows that God is zealous uh, to, to protect the faith of, of these little ones. You mentioned, you know, when it comes to these little ones, that there are, this certainly includes little children, like the, the children that we bring to the font. These are the little ones whom the Lord cares about. And, and so then those who would not bring the little children to the font, this warning stands against them. But who, who else does Jesus have in mind when it comes to the little ones? Is it only little in terms of size and age, or is there a, a broader way to understand the little ones here? Yeah, there is a broader way to understand it. Uh, Jesus says uh, in, in, in other places, you know, uh, like earlier in going back to Luke nine and he does, he does the the same thing in Matthew's gospel where he sets, he actually sets a child in front of them and says, you must be like this little child. And so he's, he's making it clear there that anyone who has faith, who is converted uh, is included among those little ones. And keep in mind also the parable that he gave right before this of Lazarus who is despised. He's poor and despised and he's carried to the bosom of Abraham of Abraham. And there's that image of, you know, the image of him being in the bosom of Abraham, that he's, he's his child. You know, he's, he's the child of, he's the son of Abraham through faith. That is that he's a child of God. And so this is, so yeah, it's certainly, it's anyone who is, who is uh, little in himself, who counts himself insignificant because he knows that he is uh, unworthy, which of course, Jesus gets to this later on as well. What you mentioned as we were getting started when introducing the context that greed and pride have been in view of Jesus as he's been teaching, particularly against the Pharisees in Luke 16. How does that connect to what he's saying to his disciples here, the connection between pride and this idea of the scandal? 
yeah, well, you know, the, his disciples get into a dispute. Um, you know, they got into a dispute, dispute earlier, but then they, they get into the same kind of dispute right before Jesus's passion uh, recorded in Luke 22 about, you know, who's the greatest. And that's where Jesus talks about, you know, don't be worldly. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the, the worldly people who exercise lordship over each other. No, if anyone would be the greatest, he should be he should be the least. He should be the youngest. Uh, he should he should be servant of all because the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for all. And so this pride uh, is, as the Proverbs say, it's what goes before the destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And pride is is pride is that scandal. It is that thing which causes people to fall away, um, and uh, and and causes them to 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 not uh, see themselves in humility as children of God who are dependent upon His mercy to forgive them of their sins and to feed them with His word. And and you know when we think that we're so great because we have you know maybe we're good at speaking or something, or we have good administrative skills or we're good teachers. Well, as Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? You know, we received all this stuff, but that's what it means. It's like what, what we say in the, the explanation of the first article of the creed and all this, uh, out of purely, uh, fatherly divine goodness and mercy, uh, uh, without any merit or worthiness in me. This is how we receive it. Mm. As Jesus continues, he starts to transition, but I think these things are related. So he's been talking about these scandals. Woe to the one through whom it comes. It would be better to be judged in this way than to, to cause a little one to sin. And then he, he, again, directs his disciples to pay attention and starts talking about a brother and now forgiveness. How does, how does Jesus begin to transition into the, the next section? Yeah, so the, he says, literally, he says, beware of yourselves, um, which is a... Uh, same phrase that Paul uses when talking to the uh, to to the the pastors in Ephesus and in Acts chapter twenty, he says, "Beware of yourselves and of the flock, and like take charge of yourselves and of the flock, uh, over whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers uh, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood." And so, so now Jesus is speaking to his uh, to to his disciples, who then Luke refers to as apostles after this. Um, because they're being sent out, um, that that they should beware of themselves, right? They should take heed of themselves. And so this serves as both a conclusion to, uh, it's a transition, you know, it's a conclusion to what he just was saying about scandal, but then it op- it's an opening, an introduction to what he's saying about how to treat your brother who has sinned against you. Um, and when you consider that, you know, I, you know, I was just telling someone this. I noticed this with my own children. Uh, my three-year-old daughter, you know, she's really good at saying thank you. She's always been very good at saying thank you. And she's, it's a little bit harder for her to say sorry, you know, but you can get her to say sorry. What's very difficult to get her to say is I forgive you. You know, like when one of her siblings, you know, like one of my sibling or one of one of her siblings like hit her, you know, and so I he said sorry, and then I said, "What do you say?" And she really had a hard time saying "forgive you," and I just told her, "Well, kiss, give him a kiss," you know. And she, I think she did. She gave me a kiss at least. I, you know, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, but but you see how that that to forgive someone who has harmed you, um, both physically and emotionally, which are both wrapped up, that takes humility, that takes debasement. 
on your part, you know, and it's really, we cannot by our own reason or strength do that. And that really gets to the heart of what faith is. The faith believes in the forgiveness of sins. And to say, I forgive you is to, is really to confess the gospel, which no one can confess Jesus as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord is to confess that he is the forgiveness of our sins and to apply that to one another. So here is that, you know, to beware of yourselves that you don't fall into scandal in holding a, a grudge, because that, of course, is pride to hold on to sin. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's interesting how, how it, if you, if you say it, if you, if you, if you have it is an introduction to what he's about to say, you know, uh, beware of yourselves if your brother sins against you, right? So who, who really do you yeah. need to be uh, on your guard against when your brother sins against you? Your own sinful flesh, because your own sinful flesh is going to hold on to that sin. Some, sometimes the, the sins that are the, the, the most burdensome are the sins that others have committed against you um, because they flare up uh, the sin that is within your own heart. And then you feel justified in your anger. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, you have Matthew 18, where Jesus tells the parable of the man who refuses to forgive his fellow servant, even after his servant forgave him, uh, way more <laughs> of a debt than what his servant owed, what his fellow servant owed him. Yeah. I mean, this beware of yourselves. I think it does provide that a great transition from one to the next. And I know, I mean, you, you, for a three-year-old, it's difficult to say, I forgive you. And it, I don't know that it gets any easier when you get older. I know you have older kids, so do I. Mm -hmm. And it, it and, and even for me and, and in my own, my own life, right, to say, I forgive you, those are tough words to say, and yet so necessary so that there isn't this scandal created that would lead someone to fall away from the faith. And we're going to keep talking about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke chapter 17 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, March 16th. We're studying Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10 with Pastor Andrew Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were talking about this transition that Jesus makes where he says, beware yourselves in verse 3. And then there's two ways that the scandal can come, it would seem. One is that if your brother sins and you don't rebuke him, that's part of the scandal that could come. And then two, and this is what you're emphasizing for us as well, is that if if he repents and we don't forgive, that also can become a scandal. So there's, there's a twofold danger there. One, that we wouldn't rebuke the sin. And then two, that we wouldn't forgive the sin once it's been repented. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That That's a that's a, a really good observation. Uh, you know, we can't forget that about that Jesus says rebuke him. 
he tells us to rebuke him. And, you know, why is it that we don't want to rebuke? Because we don't want to actually face it. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we, you know, I think we feel by nature, we feel comfortable just sulking in our own self-pity and being angry Mm. uh, with our brother. And I've had plenty of times when I'm angry with someone who did me wrong. um, And then that person, and then when I, when I finally address it, I'm humbled by the person apologizing, you know? And, and, and it's like my old Adam doesn't want that. My old Adam wants Mm. to just sulk in it. Um, But if you don't rebuke him, then you're going to remain angry at him. And, uh, you know, out of fear that maybe he will, maybe he has something against you too, you know, and then you have to, you have to apologize or something like that. You know, that there's whatever it might be that, that if you don't actually address it, then it's going to fester and it's going to become a scandal. And then of course, you know, we already talked about if you don't forgive them, then it's going to do the same thing. In terms of uh, how this applies, you know, the way I think we've we've been talking about it so far has primarily been in our own individual interactions, say as like father to children or husband to wife or, you know, one Christian to another. Is there also an aspect in which Jesus speaks these words to the apostles as those in the office of holy ministry and, and thinking about this in terms of the office of the keys in, in, the, in maybe a more specific way? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, uh, like, if you, again, if you compare this to what he says in Matthew 18 in the context there, uh, Jesus goes on to talk about how the church is to behave, uh, how, how the church is to deal with sin. Um, where your brother sins against you and you start between you and him. And eventually, if he doesn't repent, you know, after two or three witnesses, uh, you you take it to the church and then whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And you go back to Matthew 16 and he gave to, you know, he entrusted Peter and the apostles with the keys. And now he is showing that he's actually giving this to the whole church. And so it's not just the, 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 the preacher class, you know, uh, who, who possess the keys, um, like in some kind of uh, papacy, um, but the whole church together. And the apostles then as, uh, as, as public officers uh, of Christ, um, of the church, are, you know, they're, they're being entrusted with this public task of carrying out the keys, uh, which of course the whole church does together by confessing the word together um, and bearing with one, one another. And again, you know, as I mentioned before, Paul uses the same kind of language in, uh, in introducing, uh, the, the, his admonition to the pastors in Ephesus to do their duty as ministers of the gospel to care for the flock. So absolutely, uh, there, there, there is that anticipation that these men are being trained for the public ministry of the word. Um, but of course, this this uh, this doesn't mean that these words are only you know applicable to uh, to pastors. Uh, right. No, they they are they certainly uh, uh, relate to every Christian. Um, and as as Paul said to Timothy, you know, let no one despise you for your youth, but be an example to the flock. Right. Yeah. And and so this is uh, Jesus is training the apostles for really what all Christians, how all Christians should behave in their daily lives. So, I mean, what we do publicly as the church and officially as the church, when we have to deal with sin that's public, um, we, we also then should, this this should reflect then in our daily lives as well. And they, they, they're not opposed to each other. 
Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they definitely go go together both for the pastor and for the all the Christians. Yeah. That's great. Great answer, Pastor Proy. So the apostles, it's like they so they they hear Jesus, and it seems that they realize, oh, I don't know if I can do that. They then they they I would say this is a prayer. They say increase our faith. Talk a little bit about their response. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, add to our faith or add faith to us. Um, although you could say that's a dative of possession. Um, so add our faith, increase our faith. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's like where we get the word prosthetic, you know, to have a prosthetic limb, mm. um, to add to it. Um, and what you have here, you know, Luke is here. Luke is calling the disciples apostles, which is mm. bringing to mind again, that, that, that Christ is preparing them to, to send them out, uh, as 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 public uh, as his public ministers uh, amidst these uh, all these trials, but uh, their response to his instruction then it is appropriate, even if they are still kind of babes, which is obviously the point here too. You know <laughs> right. that uh, yeah. that they they have a lot to learn, just as we do. But it is an appropriate response. You know, it's it's like the it's like the man who says to Jesus, "I do believe, but help my unbelief." You know, and 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 he's telling them things that are very hard. Uh, they're, they're hard to hear. And, and so they need, they need faith. And so, and, and this is another great, you know, by the way, it's, 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 it's a great proof text to show that, well, who is the one who gives faith? God is, Jesus is the one who gives faith by his Holy spirit. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe, but the Holy spirit has called me by the gospel. And, and so, I mean, you have like in Hebrews, 12 verse 2 that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And so Jesus responds to them and it seems kind of abrupt, but um but he goes on the way that he increases their faith is by teaching them what faith is and what how powerful faith is. Um which is what you need to be able to forgive your brother, right? As I said before, you know, forgiving is really confessing the gospel which is a fruit of faith, you know, with the heart you believe and you're justified with the mouth, you confess unto salvation. And so forgiving your neighbor is that sign of faith. Um, God even uses that as a, as almost like a, almost like how he uses the sacraments. Um, You know, I I think our listeners would really benefit from reading uh, Luther's uh, large catechism on the fifth petition. Uh, Forgive us our trespasses and see what Luther says about this kind of stuff. Um, How God, uses that forgiveness in our lives uh, as um, to, to draw us back to his promise and strengthen and strengthen our faith. And so, so here Jesus then goes on uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to talk about the power of that faith. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you have any particular questions about that as, as we get into what Jesus says there. No, take us take us right into what Jesus says. You know, if if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, "Be uprooted and planted in the sea," and it would obey you. I, you know, I suppose you could rip that out of the context and do all kinds of damage with that. What what does Jesus mean by that in context? Okay, so just so so remember that Jesus is referring to believers as little ones. As he as he does uh, earlier, and this goes this goes right along with how he illustrates the power of faith by talking about a mustard seed, uh, a mu- a grain of mustard. 
that, that, that a tiny faith. So faith is portrayed as tiny and yet being so powerful that it can uproot a tree and throw it into the sea. And again, this harkens back to what he was just saying about those who cause scandal, that they should be, you know, uh, have a millstone wrapped around their necks and thrown to the depth of, of the sea. And so what you see here is that faith overcomes the scandal. This is what, where Jesus is getting at here. He's not just saying, hey, you need to have more faith. No, he's saying, no, this is what faith does. Faith overcomes the scandal. This is, as, as John says, this is the victory which overcomes the world. Our faith, well, who has overcome the world? Jesus has. And so our faith, because it is given by Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, and it's, and, and it's in Jesus, is the object of our faith, therefore overcomes the world, overcomes all scandals, and, uh, and in fact, it, it will be the judge of those who cause it, right? And, and so it's, it's just like in the parable that you see between Lazarus and the rich man, where the tables are turned, you know? So it is with, uh, and as Jesus says in Luke 11, um, you know, well, if, if I cast demons out by the power of the devil, then how do your sons cast them out? Well, see, they will be your judges, and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, when he rebukes these, these Christians for bringing lawsuits uh, uh, against their fellow, fellow redeemed, he says, don't you have someone who's wise among you to, to settle these disputes? You know, just like you, you know, you go to your brother and you, you rebuke him, you, you, you forgive him. The whole point here, he, Paul says, don't you know that you are going to judge angels? So this is the thing about faith is that faith is Faith is, is, is in anticipation. He's teaching faith in anticipation of the judgment, which again, when we think of the judgment being the final day that Jesus comes back, we can't, we can't look at that apart from the cross being right at the center, where Jesus' cross is, is the judgment that, that comes down on him. And so the little ones are, the, they're the despised ones who, are, who puff them, uh, uh, they're, 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 sorry, they're the ones who are despised by those who puff themselves up with pride. And, the, the, and so these little ones will be their judges. And uh, those who are puffed up are like a tree, not bearing fruit. And, and you have this in other places, like in Mark and Matthew, you know, they talk about this, uh, how Jesus curses a fig tree because it's not producing fruit. And then he says the same thing to his disciples about, you know, you could tell the mountains if you have, a, you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell the mountains to, to, to crumble into the sea. Um, and, uh, and then, and then Jesus, uh, tells, uh, you know, he tells the parable of the fig tree that doesn't produce fruit. And, and so, so, so all of this stuff, all of what, what, what Jesus is saying here about, you know, your faith, your little faith being able to, to, to take, take a sycamore tree and, 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 and uproot it and plant it in, in the ocean. Uh, he's, this is all uh, connecting to the themes of of judgment, that faith and judgment go together, and faith is able to to uh, stand before the judgment. We are able to withstand in the evil day, both when we have to face scandal in this life, but then uh, this is all God's way of preparing us to face the final day of wrath, which will be our deliverance, and uh, and and faith will see life. And, uh, and, 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 and not death. Mm. And, and all of those things that you're talking about withstanding judgment, and then these, these things that faith receives, all of that is, is far more 
impressive, actually, and far more important than the literal moving of a mulberry tree or a sycamore tree. Right? That, that this is, I mean, the, the point is that that faith, this faith is holding on to what Jesus says and expects those things that Jesus says, not putting him to the test by, I mean, taking a verse like this and expecting some sort of miraculous sign that Jesus hasn't promised, that's not the point. Rather, hold on to what Jesus has said and that is far more powerful than anything else. Yes, and 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 keep in mind again this is talking he has in view the last judgment and we know what the bible says about the last judgment that every valley will be lifted and mountain made low, right? So our faith will do these things because our faith is in the one who will come and rend, you know, the heavens. Right. So, so, the, so, so, and then what he gets into next, where he talks about them being unworthy servants, gives us more insight into kind of the, 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 the where we are in the meantime, you know, and that it mm. teaches us patience that, uh, you know, he's not telling them, just like you said, he's, he's not telling them to, to, to expect to just now have this faith right now where you can just go and, do these signs for the sake of doing signs, but he's, he's, he's teaching them through these signs to look forward to what the end of their faith actually is. You know, it's, it's like that, that hymn. I know my faith is founded on Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, right. And then the last stanza goes, um, and then at my departure, was it take thou me home to thee, uh, where I shall there inherit all thou hast promised me, uh, uh, Abide with me, O Savior, a firmer faith bestow. No, that's the second stanza. But it's a, then, then, uh, it's, it ends by saying, um, the end of faith attain, yeah. right? The end of faith attain. And that's, what is the end of our faith? The end of our faith is the goal of our faith. And that is that Jesus comes uh, in all his glory and, and all things are uprooted and all things are exposed for what they are. Uh, but we stand we stand with our heads up because our redemption has drawn near. Now, how does how does that discussion about faith, this teaching about faith, move into this discourse? And and the image talks about now they're unworthy servants. So how does faith transition into that? Yeah, so this it corresponds to his teaching against pride and boasting, um, and uh, which which is related to his teaching about faith because faith is faith exists in a humbled and contrite heart. It exists in the poor in spirit to those who don't claim any merit in themselves. If it's a faith, then, then it's not of works, right? It, it's, it's uh, that's why we say faith alone, because, uh, uh, you know, as Jesus said to Jairus only believe, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, and your daughter will live, you know, this is faith excludes works, right? It, it's as, as uh, Romans four verse five says, uh, he who does not, work but trust in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness so faith is not a matter of our merits you're not going to gain this faith by your own works by how resilient you are instead you're called simply to do your duty and not lay any claim to it and so faith is a humbling thing in this life that's why it always includes the cross it's you're not going to have the quick fixes you're not going to have the the, 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 the fast results. Uh, and you see how Paul, Paul talks in second Corinthians six, where he's talking about all these things that they go through mm-hmm. and that they are affirmed by God, confirmed by God 
as dying and yet we live, right? As not as not known and yet well known by whom? By God. And so these words of Jesus, uh, they're 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 reaffirming um, what he is saying about faith uh, when he says that you you are unworthy servants that don't expect. What would you would you uh, uh, you know? tell your, your servant to come in and, 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 uh, and eat, um, because he did just the day's work that he was supposed to do. So then he says, so then when you have done all that you have done, then say, I, we are unworthy servants. We're only doing our duty. And these words of Jesus, they're quoted in article six of the Augsburg confession, um, which is on the new obedience, uh, which follows articles four and five on how we are, justified before God through faith alone, apart from works, and how this faith comes to us through the word and through the sacraments and that, 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 that ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so in Article 6 of the Augsburg Confession, it talks about then the result of all this, which is the new obedience, that now we do begin to live a new life and to do good works that are pleasing to God. Um, but uh, the, the, this follows faith, and these works that follow faith do not justify us. And so what they do then is they, after saying that, after making that point, they quote from uh, Luke 17, uh, uh, where, where Jesus says, uh, you know, when you have done all that you have been asked or when, you know, when you have done your, your, your duty, just say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was what we were obligated to do. So you mentioned earlier that this this matter of being an unworthy servant and the faith that this connects to what Jesus teaches about carrying the cross. Can you talk a little bit more about how how this talk of an unworthy servant connects to carrying the cross? Yeah, so one passage that comes to mind is what Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 1 where he says as long as a son is in the house there's no distinction between him and the slave. My brother Mark uh, has um, has a bunch of kids, and he uh, more than I do. Um, and uh, he he says that he loves to quote this to his children. Um, There's no distinction between the son and the slave while he's in the house. That is, he doesn't. You know, he. It seems like you're a slave, right? As long as as long as we live, even though we know through faith we have everything that God has promised us. We have eternal life. We have the kingdom of God. That we shall inherit the earth. And yet, as long as we live in this world with our sinful flesh, our duties are going to seem like slavery, right? They're going to seem, uh, you know, heavy. And uh, they don't seem to pay off. And and in themselves, they they don't merit us anything. And, in, 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 and this is good for our faith because when we approach our duties with this attitude that they don't merit us anything, um, not only is it comforting uh, to know that no, it's, it, this, this is what's implicit in this is that they don't merit us anything because Christ has already merited everything for us. And so our faith simply rests on that, on his grace um, and his free gift of salvation and righteousness and forgiveness. But then, we, but then it follows then that as we do our duties with this attitude of faith, with this worldview, this perspective, we then learn to imitate our Savior who bore his cross, who made himself a servant, who waited for the Father to exalt him at the proper time. And so we then wait for our master to exalt us, to invite us up higher. We take the lower seat as Jesus teaches us to do in his parable a few chapters before this. 
And this, this then teaches us patience. And you remember this, the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed. How is it that the, how does, in, in what manner does the seed on the, that falls on the good ground produce fruit? It produces fruit with patience. And patience is suffering, right? It's enduring the, the, the heat of the day that God gives us to endure. And this, and this is a passive kind of thing, right? Uh, suffering is passive. And, and it reminds us then that our faith is passive, you know, so that, we, so, that, uh, so that we have nothing else to do but to cry out in the depths of woe to God. And that's not to say that we're always feeling this way. I mean, God certainly gives us joy. He invigorates us. But all the while, as we are doing our works, we learn how much we need the mercy of God. Um, and, and we know that there's a lot of work to do. We, 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 the God gives us, he's prepared the work for us. Um, he, he teaches us to, to, uh, to work while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. Not so that we would earn anything, but, but rather as an exercise of our faith to test us and to drive us closer to his gospel. Because if you never tried to do good works, then you might think that you're pretty good at it, right? It's like if you haven't worked out in a while, then you finally work out and you, you like think that you're going to drop a lung or something, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, so, so, so we, we certainly have a foretaste of the banquet, but we're not there yet. You know, this isn't yet the feast, not the, not the, not the feast that Revelation talks about. It's a foretaste of it. And we have it through word and sacrament. Uh, but in the meantime, we learn through, through the, the school of the experience and the Holy Spirit um, through prayer, we learn that we're unworthy, and we learn all the while to rest on the promise of our Savior, which strengthens our faith. Uh, you know what the the what you're talking about here about the bearing the cross and the humility and the patience, the suffering that comes with it, and the attitude now that yeah, I am I'm just an unworthy servant. I did what I was supposed to do, and that's it. Nothing more. There's nothing to do with me, and everything to do with with the master. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, then that, that makes what Jesus said back in Luke chapter 12, even just so much more surprising where he, he's talking about the last day and when the master comes back and he finds these faithful servants and what does end up happening is precisely the thing that doesn't seem like it's going to happen in Luke 17 here in Luke 17, you know, the master's not going to tell you to sit down at the table. And and yet when he talks about in Luke 12, that's precisely what happens is that there is coming that day when when we will sit at this feast, you know, I mean, and this is the the whole movement of Luke's gospel, you know, going back even to to chapter nine, that that verse that we said is so monumental, where Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, you know, he he knows that his journey is through cross and suffering into life and glory, yeah. and and the same is true for us, and you know, putting these texts together like that, that's what we're right now we're walking through with cross and suffering, and with this attitude of servants. And that's the the surprise of the gospel then is that on the last day, he does come and he does serve us with this amazing banquet, not because of us, but entirely because of who he is. Yeah, yeah. And and, it, and it's a constant, you know, it's a school. It's an academy that, that we're in. Yeah. So I, I don't know, how much time do we have left? You got about three minutes to help us kind of wrap things up on the morning. Yeah, well, I just wanted to just mention one thing. Um, as a pastor, um, I've had times where maybe I'm helping counsel people and they're doing really well and they're just, things go really well. And they, they, they're like, thank you so much for our, for your counsel. And, and, you know, and you're, you're just, 
you were so thankful for you as our pastor. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I feel pretty good. And those are great. Those are great <laughs> blessings. Right. And then, uh, it happens then that then they start kind of going back into the same kind of struggles. They're dealing with these mm-hmm. things and maybe they're even more intense and there've been, you know, uh, uh, a few times, uh, where I, I pray to God and I say, uh, dear God, forgive me for my pride. Please just help these people and don't give me any credit. I don't want any credit. I just want them to be helped. And it's all by your grace. And that's what these, this is what God teaches us. And, and, and we learn this through doing our duty. He teaches us that we're, that, that we are small, but he does that so that we would take comfort in knowing that he exalts the lowly and that he will, uh, that he, that his, his word is always our defense and our strength. Pastor Andrew Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri, helping us today with Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me again. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 17 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.